Hello, divers. Coming to you from Studio D. The Deep Dive Podcast proudly presents... Hollywood Hype, a series that looks at the gimmicks, tie-ins, and publicity stunts that lured unsuspecting patrons into movie theaters. I'm Tom Feeney, two-time regional Emmy Award-winning producer and writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine. Nearly a quarter of a century ago, a micro-budget horror movie with an unknown cast and a screenplay with almost no dialogue scared the hell out of audiences and mainstream movie executives alike. This week, Hollywood Hype looks at the incredible success of The Blair Witch Project. In the late 1990s, the horror film landscape wasn't looking all that great. Sure, you had Wes Craven's Scream, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Halloween H2O, and uh, The Faculty. It was all about a resurgence of the, quote, snarky, self-aware teens in trouble, end quote. Uh, That trope that was popularized by someone who wrote all four of the aforementioned movies, Kevin Williamson, creator of Dawson's Creek. Now, while all those movies have their fans, it seemed like there needed to be something new, something different, something unexpected. And that something came from the minds of two film students, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Both had very strong ideas about the horror genre, and both agreed that some of the scariest things they had ever seen were uh, footage of so-called real paranormal events in 70s-era TV shows, like In Search Of. and nature's most frightening events. For when the earth is at war with itself, there is no place to hide. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. Myrick and Sanchez formed Haxon Films. They wrote a 35-page treatment that included very little in the way of anything scripted, and they anticipated their actors would mostly improvise during filming. So three of their friends, Heather Donahue, Michael Williams, and Joshua Leonard, were cast as basically versions of themselves. In this case, as amateur filmmakers shooting a documentary about the legend of the Blair Witch. This is Burkittsville, formerly Blair. It is a small, quiet Maryland town, much like a small, quiet town anywhere. 
No more than 20 families laid their roots here over 200 years ago, many of whom remain, either on this hill or in the town below. There are an unusually high number of children laid to rest here, most of whom passed in the 1940s. Yet no one in the town seems to recall anything unusual about this time, to us anyway. Yet legend tells a different story, one whose evidence is all around us, etched in stone. It's interesting to note that although many have seen the film, or at the very least heard of it, not many really know much about the lore behind it. Partially because it was all made up by the filmmakers, yeah, but also because the movie didn't really focus too much on the Blair Witch legend. Instead, it focused on the three doomed documentarians. So, to summarize the legend, Ellie Kedward, an accused witch banished from the colonial town of Blair, Maryland, was believed to be extracting blood from local children. In the late 1800s, a child mysteriously disappeared in the forest, and upon his return, a search party discovered one of its members dismembered. Fast forward to the 1940s in Burkittsville, where Rustin Parr, an elderly hermit from the Black Hills Forest, claimed he was, quote, finished after confessing to the murder of seven children in his woodland dwelling. He attributed their deaths to the influence of the Blair Witch. The footage of the lost documentary Local crew was later supposedly discovered at Rustin Parr's Others claim that sections house. of the Black Hill area are lost in time. So now that we're and all that once up, entered, let's, there is no let's way out. backtrack a little bit. It was Myron these simple folk tales told to her by her grandmother that first attracted Montgomery now, College in order to make the movie, they needed the some resources. You know, little a things born like journalist money. and a dedicated artist, so Jane was drawn to the Paramedic short eight-minute sort of test film. After an interview with Rockville Cultist Norm Turwitter, Jane learned that the history backing. behind the folklore was hooked. After graduating, she raised $5,000 from family and friends enlisted the help of classmates cameraman John Miller and sound recordist Billy Madsen and began making plans to shoot a documentary on the Blair Witch. In October of 1993, the film crew arrived in Blair, the county seat of Blair County, to shoot two interviews and establishing shots of the surrounding area. When Madsen failed to report to work two days in a row, his employer contacted Steiner's roommate, who in turn called Angie Steiner, Jane's mother. The first APB was issued on the 17th, and the Maryland State Police launched their search at the Black Hill area on October 18th. This operation would last 10 days and include up to 100 men aided by dogs and helicopters. The case was declared inactive and unsolved June 23, 1994. Then, in October of 1995, students from the University of Maryland's Anthropology Department discovered a duffel bag full of film cans and videotapes buried under the foundation of a 200-year-old cabin. The short film was presented as a real documentary with no hint that it was all made up by the filmmakers. They showed it to an independent film producer named John Pearson. And it wasn't until after Pearson watched the short that he was told it was all fake. Pearson was so impressed that he invested $10,000 in the project. 
Not a lot in Hollywood terms, but enough to get them started. Each of the three actors was trained in how to operate the film and audio recording equipment, since technically they were the film cinematographers. Now, needless to say, the actors' inexperience with the cameras helped lend yet another layer of authenticity to the production. However, despite the initial infusion of cash, there wasn't enough money to complete production. What they did have was nearly 20 hours worth of footage. So, Myrick and Sanchez edited a version of the film together and submitted it to several film festivals. One was the prestigious Sundance Film Festival held each year in Park City, Utah. Now, if you're unfamiliar, Sundance is known for premiering interesting and offbeat movies from around the world, some of which don't even have a distributor. And for those films, the goal is for a studio executive to view your movie and bid for the right to release it. In some cases, there can even be a bidding war. When the film was accepted by the Sundance Festival curators, that automatically opened doors for the filmmakers. They were able to use Blair Witch's acceptance into the festival to secure enough money to finish the production. Now, mostly, that entailed taking their raw footage, shot on both 16mm film stock and a high 8 analog video camera, then transferring the material to 35mm film for theatrical movie projectors. Not an inexpensive proposition, but now it was done, and it was ready only two weeks from Sundance. So, they were ready for Sundance, but Sundance was not ready for the Blair Witch Project. Myrick and Sanchez were determined to own Sundance. With what was left of the money after the film transfer, the filmmakers had realistic missing posters made featuring the three actors and plastered them on pretty much every surface in Park City. The gimmick worked. The initial midnight screening of the Blair Witch Project sold out. And as expected, there were studio execs in the audience. An audience that, no surprise, went crazy for the film, debating it well after the screening, seeing if it was real or not. Nearly all the major independent distributors, including Miramax, wanted to bid for the movie. 90 minutes after the screening was over, at 3 a.m., Myrick and Sanchez got a phone call from small independent distributor Artisan Entertainment. They offered the filmmakers a reported $2 million for the rights to Blair Witch. It was the deal of a lifetime, and of course the two young filmmakers took it. Artisan not only had the resources to distribute the movie, they also had a plan. The folks at Artisan knew that they had something really special on their hands. And they wasted no time and got busy working on what would be a revolutionary ad campaign to get their target audience interested in the film. Their goal 
was to give audiences a way to dig into the whole backstory of the film. So, taking unused footage from the original shoot, they crafted a realistic mockumentary called Curse of the Blair Witch. It ran on the Sci-Fi Channel in the summer of 99. Hello? 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 The Blair Witch Project, the most intense theatrical experience of the summer, has spawned the most frightening investigation on television. I don't feel too comfortable with seeing the last few days of my brother's life on video. Sci-Fi presents the uncensored investigation, Curse of the Blair Witch, Monday at 10 p.m. The 44-minute show gave viewers a sneak peek into the mythology of Ellie Kedward and serial killer Rustin Parr and it was played completely straight. Sci-Fi ran no disclaimers stating that was all fictional in order to maintain the mystery. The Blair Witch Project was also one of the first films to truly realize the power of the then-nascent internet as a publicity tool. There was already a website set up before the film was even complete. It had some of the lore and several faked pieces of evidence regarding the missing filmmakers. Artisan took that website and expanded it, pushing even further the idea that it was all real. But it was also very, very successful. With an initial budget of less than $50,000, the Blair Witch Project took in over $140 million at the box office domestically. It was a genuine sleeper hit. Critics praised its believability and creepiness factor, but many also thought of it as a clever marketing ploy disguised as a feature film. And honestly, it's both. An inventive movie coupled with an equally creative advertising campaign. Ironically, the movie did not do well when it was released months later on home video. By the time of the home release, the mystery wasn't as mysterious. Everyone who had wanted to see it had done so, and anyone who hadn't certainly heard about it because of all the media hype. Both the filmmakers and artisan captured lightning in a bottle. It was the right idea, at the right time, and it was perfectly executed. The only movie that has come close to matching the same kind of hype was released nearly a decade after Blair Witch. High def camera on. My girlfriend Katie, she thinks there's something in the house. I don't know. You believe me, right? Doors are locked, alarm is on. If anything walks through here, it's going to leave a pretty good footprint. Oh my god. There's footsteps in, but there's no footsteps out. You cannot run from this or follow you. This woman, same things happen to her. Oh, God. I feel like breathing on me. Looks like something big here. You stop following me with the camera! I'm in control. You stop Paranormal activity. Rated R. You demanded it. Now playing in theaters everywhere. 
2007's Paranormal Activity, made on a micro-budget of only $10,000, became a surprise smash hit for Paramount Pictures. It made nearly $200 million worldwide and created a successful franchise, which has spawned over a half-dozen sequels. Sadly, The Blair Witch Project had no such success. A non-documentary sequel, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, failed at the box office, and a 2016 reboot-slash-sequel failed to attract an audience. Now, as I have stated many times on this podcast, nothing succeeds like excess when it comes to Hollywood. Even if the original Blair Witch failed to create a winning franchise, that did not stop a veritable flood of so-called found footage movies. In the decade that followed the Blair Witch Project, nearly 50, that's right, 50, five, zero, movies classified by the Internet Movie Database as found footage were released. Most went relatively unnoticed, with a few exceptions like Cloverfield, Rec, and District 9. And more recently, the VHS horror anthology film series has picked up the found footage ball and ran with it successfully. Okay, here's the deal. We gotta break into this house and all we have to do is steal this one VHS tape. Which one is it? I don't know, man. Let's just look at these okay. It's so special about this tape anyway. You're all gonna die up here. My apartment's haunted. It's not haunted. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation. While the Blair Witch Project wasn't the first movie to try to convince an audience that what they were witnessing on the screen was real and not fiction, it certainly stands apart as an example of the genre done well. It also serves to illustrate how a carefully thought out and unique ad campaign can turn a modest movie into a veritable blockbuster. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes available on almost all podcast providers and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. If you like what you hear, write a review. We would love to know what you think. Or drop us a line at thedeepdivepodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. That were X now. I'll never call it that, though. You can find links to those in our awesome t-shirt store in the bio of our Instagram 
page. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Hollywood Hype is part of the Deep Dive Podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios. Studios.